he's meant to be a sipping spirit. Have you not heard? The Viscount believes in hurrying things along these days. First the wedding, now his drink. Let us hope for Edwina's sake the tendency stops before the honeymoon. <laughs> Have you always been so vulgar? Or staring at naked models all day turned your brain to charcoal? <laughs> or must he choose just one? <laughs> I suppose that has always been the privilege of not being the firstborn. You both get to choose your passions and adventures. While I, on the other hand, must fulfill my Tell duty. me, dear brother, once you marry, will your duty finally be fulfilled so you can stop reminding everyone of it? I believe the reminders are also my duty, so no. Hello everybody, Bradley here, and welcome back into another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Uh, first, I just wanted to apologize quickly for the delay in getting this episode out. I've been quite sick for the last two weeks. It wasn't COVID, but I got hit with some kind of fucking cold or flu or something, and it just knocked me right on my ass. I'm still quite sick today. I'm going to try and power through this podcast. The show must go on. But if there's any coughing, sneezing, sniffling, or if I'm just not generally quite as upbeat as I normally am, I am doing my best on this end, so hopefully the podcast turns out okay. Uh, today, though, we are diving deep into the hit Netflix series Bridgerton and taking a look at the sixth episode of season two, entitled The Choice. As always, this podcast contains adult content, and in this episode of Bridgerton, Anthony and Kate made out, and we all rejoice. So, baby, we got ourselves some adult content. Woo! With regards to spoilers, this podcast is spoiler-free past this episode of Bridgerton. We will only be talking about Bridgerton up until the end of episode 6. However, I have been spoiled on some of the big kind of plot points of the season just by being on Twitter and such. So if I seem a little more clairvoyant than normal, that's why. I'm not going to bring up any of the spoilers that I know in this podcast. But just be warned that I have been more spoiled than I was in season 1. And finally, before we get started, go and leave those fancy 5-star reviews. Spotify just got a new review system, so if you're listening to this on Spotify... That would be awesome. Make sure you tell someone about this podcast. Send us an email at letsdiveDeeppod at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at Let's Dive Deep. Go and you know, do all the things. We got Patreon if you want to throw a couple bucks our way to get early access to the episodes and show notes and those types of things. We have a Facebook group for you to hang out in if you want to hang out there. I think that's it. That's all, though. I think it's time for the first time in a couple of weeks to dive deep into Bridgerton. Did you see them? Yeah, what did Majesty. you see? The fireworks. They were brilliant! <laughs> Will there be more? Oh dear, seems, uh, seems I, I'm late for the ceremony. My king, someone, can someone come and assist? I didn't mean to keep you waiting, Rosie. My bride, my, my beautiful bride. Um, where is the archbishop and, and, and our congregation? George. She's radiant, is she not? What are they, uh... No, no, I'm happy. What are they doing? Stop! Leave! Leave me! Leave me! Flossie. She will make a most excellent queen, Your Majesty. I hear the two of you faced many trials during your happy courtship. But today, today will make all of it well worth it, will it not? Yes. Then perhaps you might find your rest, Your Majesty. Before you both rule this kingdom with the kind of love, compassion, and kindness two of you undoubtedly share. 
my queen. Episode 206, entitled The Choice, writer was Lulu Ibakwe and director was Tom Verica. I'm really getting the hang of seeing those as the episode plays instead of looking at IMDb. In terms of a score, I have a problem because I think this is my favorite episode of Bridgerton. All two seasons, I think this is my favorite episode. However, I resent the wedding sin. And I'm going to talk about the wedding sin a little bit as we move forward, probably in episode eight or, or seven or eight. Uh, however... The wedding sin happened, and I don't like it. And basically, the wedding sin, uh, very briefly, is where you get a giant wedding sequence, and you spend all your time, your money, and your budget on a wedding for two characters that don't end up being married or the, the main love interest we're not interested in, and then proceed later to not get the wedding or to skip over the wedding of the two characters we are interested in. Um, you know, New Girl did this, which is very lame. Spoilers for New Girl. Uh, one of the characters gets, like, two giant wedding sequences throughout the show, and the main love interest gets, like, one and a half wedding and it just sucks there's a lot of shows that do this and i don't like the wedding sin however for the purposes of scoring this episode theoretically each specific tv show is made in a vacuum unaware of the other tv shows that also exist so i don't want to hold it against it for the score purposes so i'm going to give this episode an 8.45 i don't know where that rests in my overall score i think that's probably the highest i think this is my favorite episode of bridgerton Anthony's getting a 10 out of 10 this episode, and you know, he did some things I liked, he did some things I didn't like, but as a character, the show has really invested me in him and, and made me like him, so I'm, I'm in on the Anthony train here, 10 out of 10. There was so much to enjoy about this episode, I'm never going to get to all of it. This episode could be like a four-hour deep dive, and it just won't be, so I'm going to do my best. Uh, the first is I like all the different kind of character projection that's happening. You know, the queen is projecting her wants and desires and her kind of retrospective look and her kind of yearning for the love life that she had with the king with this wedding she's kind of putting this wedding upon characters to try and live vicariously through them kate is kind of trying to get edwina to, to project her life onto edwina anthony's trying to project his kind of want of duty and honor and those types of things onto his onto edwina as well uh, one of his things that he says after the wedding's gone uh, you know tits up is that hey you were born for this i'm the viscount you're the diamond neither by our own choosing so he's trying to project his kind of insecurity around duty and whatever onto edwina mama bridgerton this whole time has been trying to project her you know view of love and marriage onto her children and so i just really like that everyone seems to be projecting to all the other characters in a way that feels real to me and, and just it just really worked for me this episode I enjoyed that Edwina was angry, and when you're angry, you don't always make the best arguments for things. I don't think every single point and argument that Edwina was making towards Kate or whatever was entirely fair. However, that's what we're all like when we're angry, and I just liked Edwina being angry. Like, I get it. You're clairvoyant now. You saw the look between them. Everything starts to click in retrospect. All those looks. It also doesn't help that Edwina kind of set them up on 50 first dates to, to get them to love each other, and so I, I just love that Edwina was mad and just angry and kind of inconsolable and the the big one for me is when she throws out the half sister that's entirely unfair to kate but you know we've all said things we regret when we're angry and it just felt like a real character moment from edwina and the actress uh just again i, I mentioned this last episode incredible so i i enjoyed that edwina was just angry in this episode 
so many of our characters are getting in-depth emotional moments that really make sense, which I, I enjoyed this episode. We have Daphne and Anthony kind of having a, a little bit of a, a, a battle in the, the room after Benedict gets kicked out, which is hilarious. And just a real great character moment for both those characters. We have um, Lady Danbury and Mama Bridgerton having their kind of laugh party, which was fun, and another in-depth kind of emotional moment. We have Anthony and Edwina. We have Kate and Mama Sharma, you know, having a little bit of a, not really an argument, but, you know, they're not, you know, entirely friendly in, in one of the scenes in this episode. So just a lot of characters getting more in-depth emotional moments, kind of digging below the surface, living in the gray a little bit, all thoroughly enjoyable. I having been sick, and I, I do want to point out, it has taken me about 18 minutes to record however long this is in the podcast, like six minutes. There's so much coughing happening, so I'm doing my best here. But my having been sick made me not record this until after Coachella, where Harry Styles' performance at Coachella was absolutely incredible. If you haven't watched it, you should go and watch it. Uh, but Side of the Times, a, a song I recognized. I like when I recognize the songs that are they're doing the kind of uh, Regency-era covers of. And Side of the Times, amazing cover. What a song to pick for this episode and I love that. And finally, the other thing I really enjoyed was just the comedic writing. Benedict has those moments with Colin where he's like, hey brother, if you keep drinking, you'll never get hungover, which is awesome. Theo has his, you know, uh, when Eloise says, I have thoughts and Theo kind of retorts with, I can see why that would be a problem for somebody in your society. Awesome stuff. Eloise trying to get her feelings across. Like, she just has a crush on this guy, but doesn't know how to explain it. The laugh sequence, the queen saying to the, the butler, the, the footman guy, hey, uh, I'll, if you push the peacock off the ledge, you, I'm going to push you off the ledge with it. Also hilarious. Just a lot of really great comedic writing in this episode to kind of back up the emotional through line in a way that didn't feel forced, which is always the important part with comedic writing. And just 11 of the 10 whoever wrote Lulu Ibakwe I believe is the the name of the person who wrote this episode really understands how to weave the comedy in there without taking away from the rest of the episode and it, it stuck out to me as just incredible there was only two things I didn't like this episode on like an overall broad basis. The first is the wedding sin, which I'll talk about more in episode seven or eight, which is probably where I'm going to deduct the points from the episode for it. So we'll, we'll move that on to another conversation later. The other thing I really didn't like, and I, it ground my gears. I could not stand. It was just Eloise. I, I was worried that Eloise would just become kind of a one-note character. And then we got her going to those, like, social events or whatever, and or those events with the people who want to unionize and fight for women right, women's rights and all that. And I was like, okay, so Eloise is doing something with all this pent-up energy. But in this episode, she just comes across as, like, unhelpful, ungrateful, just downright rude to her brother at her wedding. And Eloise is somebody who, within this society, has a lot of opinions about how dumb the society is. I don't take Eloise to be someone who is just, you know, so contemptuous of everything that she just can't even put together a decent performance at her own brother's wedding. When, you know, Anthony makes a lot of good points about Eloise as well. He's Mostly when he's talking to Daphne and not about Eloise, but Eloise as a woman, is extremely unprivileged compared to men in this society. However, compared to the average woman in this society, Eloise is still extraordinarily privileged. She doesn't have to do a... Like, I... You know what, maybe that's not fair because I'm sure all of this prep to be a debutante and have social seasons is a lot of work. But in reality, she just gets to live in a giant fucking manor home with a giant country home where she can go in the summers and play Pall Mall with her friends. She gets food served to her every evening. She never has to worry about money or security or anything like that. And so for Eloise, 
to just not even be support or at least like blandly getting through the day really bugged me it really really bothered me after edwina leaves and everyone's trying to figure out why edwina would have left all the siblings are being unhelpful but eloise is there like hey maybe all this talk about you know being tied to a man forever kind of god it's like shut the fuck up eloise like that's like go away like stop talking this is not the time it really bothered me it kind of took eloise a little too far for me that her opinions would not only like, ugh, I don't know how to explain what I'm feeling other than it was just too far this episode. It was too far for like a realistic character to be just so rude at her own brother's wedding when that's not the sense I, I really get from her. And so I understand that internally she might not like it and be contemptuous and all that. That makes sense to me. But for her to just be so fucking, I don't know. Yeah, contemptuous about the whole thing kind of outwardly is, is it was just too much for me. I did not like it. And also to just kind of leave the wedding. You know, I, I get that the wedding is kind of on thin ice at this point and things aren't going well and everyone's outside and not meant to leave and all that. So it's a good time to go and sneak off. But also, like, it's your brother's wedding and he needs, you know, maybe he doesn't need your help, but he needs his family there. He needs, like, that's just what I mean. Like, Eloise is just so, like, I don't get her as a selfish person. I get her as a person who just has opinions that are antithetical to the opinions of the society, which is a good thing. But in this episode, especially when she decides to leave, she just comes across as like a selfish prick, at least to me. And that that was not the Eloise that I kind of signed up for, I don't think, or the Eloise that I think kind of exist has existed for the first season and a half of this show. So yeah, just Eloise was a big stinker for me this episode. One of the ten, uh, just did not like it. We open the episode at the palace where the queen is organizing this wedding, and I can't think of anything better to do instead of running the country than organizing this wedding. And what a privilege this is for her to be able to, to do this. And, like, you don't even need to... No one's looking at a budget or whatever. She's just saying this and saying that, and it just magically appears. Being the queen, in this case, looks like a, a, a great deal. Some dude comes up to talk about peacocks, which is hilarious. They're kind of figuring out how peacocks work. And it's explained that they can't fly, but if they're pushed off a ledge, they can kind of soar, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's actually how peacocks work. But then she seems upset with that answer and <laughs> tells the tells the guy that she'll push him off with the peacocks, which was awesome. We are introduced to Chekhov's fire. We have so many Chekhov's things in this episode, which normally I would take points off, but it's Bridgerton, and I, I, I have a higher suspension of disbelief for Bridgerton. Chekhov's fireworks. Brimsley's explaining how these fireworks are going to work. The second they say, I do, big explosions whatever and the queen is saying that's not good enough they need to be bigger they need to be better so we know at some point these fireworks are gonna kind of blow up in everyone's face and that's exactly what happened so Chekhov's fireworks are here we have this, a little bit of the psychology for all of this from um, the perspective of the queen she's talking about you know part of the reason she's doing this wedding is because of what Lady Whistledown will say which is interesting but also what we learn later as part of it is that she is kind of retrospectively looking at you know, or yearning for her own marriage and her own courtship and her own relationship that doesn't really exist anymore because King George seems to have dementia or Alzheimer's if I, I don't want to diagnose people or things, but the way they're portraying it in this show seems to be Alzheimer's and I don't know how true that is to, to real life. Um, but there's a lot of interesting psychology going on here for the queen in, in planning this wedding, which I enjoy. We enter Chekhov's King George as well. We had two Chekhov's things in this one scene. The palace wing is open and she wants it to be closed because she doesn't want anyone to run into the king. So we know at some point somebody's running into the king. You know how this goes. And then we have, I'm sure this strategy is, is a, 
is something kind of in the in the sphere that can be utilized by all authors and writers of things. However, I'm going to call it the Tyrion Lannister strategy of going through. Brimsley is going through, and he's going to give a bunch of false rumors, which we see later with Lady Cowper and the honeymoon sequence. And he's going to give a bunch of false rumors to everybody. And those false rumors are going to spread, and whichever one ends up in the Lady Whistledown pamphlet will indicate the person who is Lady Whistledown, or at least that that person talked to Lady Whistledown so they can track it, because they're going to have a footman going about following all these people. So we get a little bit of subterfuge with Lady Whistledown here, which I enjoy. It is time to move on to Sharma Prep and Bridger Prep. We get both sequences of how Edwina and Anthony are preparing for their wedding. With Edwina, we get a lot of good stuff. I believe this is called Haldi, and I didn't. I should have done a little more research. I believe this is a real Indian tr marriage tradition. If that is correct, and that is my impression of it, just based on Twitter and how you know Chris Van Dusen was talking about it on Twitter and everything. I am just so happy that the show continues where it can um, to be a little more inclusive, to bring, you know, it is my interpretation that this does not happen in the books. We are going to do, I should have announced this at the top of the podcast, but I'm going to do a book club for Bridgerton uh, on this podcast feed in between seasons where I'm going to read The Duke and I and uh, The Viscount Who Loved Me before season three comes out. So that'll be exciting. And it's my interpretation that none of this happens in the books. And so the chance for the show to kind of adapt to this and make it more inclusive and show, you know, I am somebody who, who is not Indian, obviously. And, 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 you know, as a kid, I had lots of Indian friends just based on where I grew up and, and through high school and whatnot, we've kind of grown apart, but I, I've never been a part of their wedding tradition, especially on the, the, the woman's side of that tradition. And so just being able to, to see and expand my horizons with, with something different than I would see uh, normally is just an incredible shout to Bridgerton. So I'm really happy they they introduced this sequence on the bridgerton side of things this is a, what i'm a lot more familiar with we have a standard kind of bachelor party-esque thing it is anthony and benedict and colin and i almost put in my didn't like sequence that the duke's not here i'm just not gonna hold it against the show because it like i just know that there's these are real people that need contracts who need to be paid and all that and that each person's a different negotiation and all that and so I'm not going to hold it against the show that the Duke didn't come back, but you really miss him in this sequence because you think Anthony's best friends would be here. There's a lot of funny jokes being thrown around. Anthony, or, you know, this wedding has been moved up a little bit, and so Benedict is kind of roasting Anthony a little bit like, hey, Anthony's a big fan of moving things up recently or doing things quickly. Hopefully that ends by the honeymoon, which is just an 11 out of 10 joke. Absolutely hilarious anthony's kind of droning on about his duty and how colin and benedict get to blah 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 and that's what colin and benedict say They're like hey anthony when you're married will you shut the fuck up like will you just be quiet about duty and all that and he's like no i actually think it's my duty to remind you of your duty which is so good and then colin and benedict retort with well never fear colin because soon we're gonna have a bunch of little anthony's running around talking about their little duties which is oh the, Lulu Abakwe, who wrote this, I should have put this in the things I liked, just understood the siblingness of this. I have two brothers. This is a sequence that, if I was Anthony, would happen in my life with my two brothers. And it, it just felt like exactly how me and my two brothers would interact with each other in this moment. Absolutely exceptional writing.
Benedict and Colin also toast to the gatekeeper, the sister, the the giant mountain that has been overcome by Anthony to be able to marry Edwina, uh, which is just obviously very deeply ironic considering how this is going to go, but very funny in the moment because we know as the audience that he's not going to end up marrying Edwina. He's going to end up with Kate somehow. We're not sure how yet, but we know this is how it's going to go. On the Kate and Edwina side, though, there's a lot of good stuff here. They're kind of calming Anthony down or calming Edwina down and kind of telling Telling her, hey, we, you know, you know, you've lived for a hundred tomorrows, but tomorrow is the the your wedding day. You've been preparing for this your whole life. This should be exciting. Edwina's a little bit worried about passion and love and all that. And and Kate has a bonkers good line again. Lulu Abakwe, man, can this guy write everything? A bonkers good line where she says, sometimes looks can just look, a look doesn't mean anything. They can just it's just passion or whatever, and that subsides into love or whatever. And then later, the whole thing that's going to trigger Edwina is a look between Kate and Anthony. So just the the little call out here to that is exceptional. But I I really vibed with this holy scene a lot. I thought it was fantastic for them to to give Edwina this moment to kind of be a little nervous and to be a little excited. And that excited nervous energy is something we can all relate to. They also get a little bit on Kate's side too. Edwina, you know, again, you know, starting her own demise here is rubbing Haldi on Kate saying, hey, if, if you rub Haldi on an unwed person, it, it, g- it gives them a better chance of finding their true love, Lamau. Uh, we also get, uh, what else did we get there? We got something else there. Um, it might be the bangles. The bangles might come a little later. Anyways, lots of Edwina kind of being the uh, the author of her own demise. But man, I, I enjoyed all of this. I enjoy the Bridger prep. I enjoy the Sharmer prep. Just a very fun pre-wedding situation for all these characters to be in. The Featheringtons are back in action with their really silly scheme. The, the silliest part of this scheme is that they're relying on Prudence, who just never has any idea what, what she should be doing at any time. And we get the best moment later with Prudence. Oh my goodness. But yeah, they're here with their very silly scheme to dupe the entire ton into investing in mines that aren't producing anything. So that's cool. Uh, Cousin Jack at some point has a line, just for your own reference, I watched this about a week and a half ago and wrote these notes intending to record the podcast then, so I haven't re-watched it in a little bit, but again, I'm doing my best here, I'm doing my best. Uh, At some point, Cousin Jack has a line that says, I cannot help but enjoy a lady who seizes control. All right there, Cousin Jack. All right, I'm not going to say anything, no judgment here, I love that for you, you know. Whatever's going on with Cousin Jack is awesome. I just wanted to call out that line because I thought it was funny. Uh, Penelope and the Modiste are scheming a little bit about Theo. Like, hey, Modiste, I know you're not meant to be here, and this is super risque for you to be here. But uh, do you know anything about one Theo? Because Eloise keeps talking to this guy. And I, I think now... Penelope is concerned with being found out as Lady Whistledown via Theo, or at least the the little dress connection will be found out. Later, I think it turns to concern for Eloise by proxy of that, that she's going to get feelings for this guy. And then, of course, for Penelope, we'll get found out. I think there's kind of two different things going on, one kind of serving the other for Penelope here. And then late the, the modiste, Lady Delacroix, gets out of this whole situation by claiming to be lost, which is... Which, you know what, I'm not sure if that would roll in really. Oh, I thought this, wait a second, wait a minute, I thought this was the Bridgerton house. I kind of got lost, and then instead of going to the Bridgertons, I just stopped for this pleasant chat with Penelope. I, I guess it was, I guess it was. Lady Featherington does not seem like the type of person that would, she's bad at scheming, she's bad at noticing these types of things. I think it's probably fair to her that she wouldn't think anything was weird at all about this. We are back with Sharma Prep and Bridger Prep, but now it is the day of the wedding instead of the night before. Kate is out here projecting again by Chekhov's Bangles. <laughs> this is the third of the 
fourth Chekhov's thing we have in this episode. Chekhov bangles are introduced here, and they are given to Edwina. They were for Kate from Kate's mother to be worn at her wedding, but of course Kate is projecting her wants and desires and dreams onto Edwina, so she gives the bangles to her, which is going to pose a problem later on. Hungover Colin is really fun over at the Bridgerton house. Mama Bridgerton is freaking out, trying to... She, she's really like, you know, Mama Bear getting all her cubs together for this wedding. Surprisingly... Anthony is ready for the wedding, which I wasn't expecting. I also don't think Mama Bridgerton was expecting uh, that. She's like, is anyone truly ready for this wedding? She gets a little bit mad at Benedict because Colin is hungover. And then Benedict comes in with the classic tried and true and tested method of avoiding a hangover. Just don't stop drinking. And that works for some time. It's not... It's not a foolproof method, but if you're out there, you're just getting into the drinking game and you, you go for a really late night, you can kind of, you don't avoid the hangover, but if you wean yourself off of it slowly into the morning and start subsidizing some of it with water, eventually you go from 100% alcohol to 100% water and there's a pathway down where you slowly decrease the amount of alcohol and increase the amount of water and it helps a little bit to avoid the hangover. So Benedict... He's ahead of the times, or maybe this was always just the uh, strategy. Colin says that he does not have Benedict's capacity for drink, which is true because Benedict is a high-functioning alcoholic. And the way the show presents him, he's just out here drinking all the time, which is is fine. It's good to know, though, that at least Colin is, is a little more able to down whatever tea that was that he brought back from Greece for Benedict. That was, that was very funny. Anthony kind of walks into the room. And Mama Bridgerton's like, hey, Anthony, are you ready for this wedding? And he is surprisingly like, of course, born ready, in fact, because this is my duty and I will do my duty to this family. And it's like, as the audience, like, okay, Anthony, shut the fuck up. But like, that's fine. He's going to do his duty. He's ready. He's prepared. He looks great, by the way. He's not too hungover at all. He is ready to go for his nuptials, which is, you know, an interesting thing to do here, considering how this wedding is going to end up. Over at the palace, so many things are going on, but the first thing I wrote in my notes in all caps is PEACOCKS! There are peacocks around. Everyone's looking at the peacocks. Uh, everyone is arriving to the palace for this wedding. They're walking the ground, seeing the sights, avoiding Chekhov's King George for the moment. Lady Bridgerton and Miss Danbury have a... Uh, the, ice, the ice is not quite thawed. There's still, still a little frozen there about the dinner with the Sheffields. Uh, Lady Bridgerton will end up letting this go a little later in the episode, but for now, she's still very much defensive about it. And she even prompts Lady Danbury, unless there's other information that you would like me to know. And at that point, Lady Danbury's got to be like, yo, what the fuck? We cannot let this happen. He likes Kate and Kate likes him. And this is a disaster. Like they both, she knows it. So... You know, Lady Danbury, it's not, her defense later of it, it's not really my place, is a pretty fair defense in real life. Like, it's not, it was not, I, you should have been aware of this information, but it was not my place to tell you, is a real thing that happens in real life. So I get it. But also, Lady, do you had the chance here? It was, Lady Bridgerton threw the basketball up and you just need to dunk it. And I think it's called an alley-oop. We got an alley-oop the Lady Bridgerton and Lady Danbury need basketball lessons. Is most of what I'm taking away from this scene. Penelope's around and finds Colin and Eloise at the same time, which she even notes out loud is the best possible scenario for her. She is in her lady whistle-down mindset. She has got the queen psychologically evaluated, and she knows that she, the queen is doing this to prove that she is still significant and equal to the task, which I'm assuming what uh, Lady Whistledown writes in her pamphlet about this is the queen was unsignificantly unequal to this task, as I imagine the exact way she writes about this after the wedding. 
Ella's being a little bit rude, but it's fine in this scene because Colin is there to kind of make fun of her a little bit. And he has the awesome line. <coughs> Apologies. I, I really am doing my best. Um, uh, he has the funny line where he says, it's shocking that you two are best friends when you, you seem so similar, but could not be more alike. Penelope goes, what do you mean? Colin was swooning the whole time. And he goes, you have sense, Penelope. And Eloise, it's just, it's just a nice Eloise dunk. It's nice that all of these siblings act like siblings and, you know, dunk on each other a little bit. So I, that was just, that was just fun. I, I enjoyed that. Penelope giving it away a little bit here with the Theo thing. She's a little too concerned about Eloise's relationship with Theo. I understand it's because she thinks she's going to get caught and not because she particularly cares that Ella... It's both. It's both. But overarching, I think, is that she wants to protect herself or Lady Whistledown, um, which is very... It's an interesting thing to kind of dive into. This is why this episode is my favorite, because on one hand, Penelope probably does care about Eloise and her not getting caught up with the scandal that would ensue. But on the other hand, Eloise kind of going down this road makes it more likely that she's found out as Lady Whistledown, so it's hard to figure out which intentions here are more true than others. And two things can be true in the same time. It can be both. Those can be two very good reasons for Penelope to want to crack down on this. I think she's giving it away a little bit too hard here, but Eloise is kind of oblivious to all of the clues that... Penelope is Lady Whistledown. Eloise here also stumbling into feelings, which I think is great. We have all been there. I remember, oh my goodness, oh my God. Do I remember my first crush? Oh, geez. I remember I was in grade five. So maybe 11 or 12, maybe it was grade six. I can't remember exactly what grade this was, but I had the biggest crush on somebody. And my way of emotionally dealing with this was to find a way, I had recruited my mother to find a way to elaborately invite her to my birthday party, but to not invite her entire friend group, thus giving it away. I, I had a whole plan, you know what I mean? To, to let her know that I had the biggest crush on her when I was in grade five or grade six or whatever. So we've all been there with our first kind of feelings for somebody. So I, I sympathize with Eloise here. I was a wreck. I was also 10 or 11 or 12 or whatever. And she is you know, 20 or 21. But hey, we'll forgive Eloise a little bit. What's even more interesting about this, and again, this episode is awesome for character depth, is because this is antithetical to everything Eloise believes in. Like, she is out here trying not to fall in love, trying to be independent, because she doesn't believe in all this dumb shit with uh, everyone else is doing. And I think it might be different with someone like Theo, but hey, it's contradictory to what Eloise is trying to, to portray and trying to project. And so I just like this little bit of uh, contradiction that she's having to play with here. We move on to one of my favorite scenes in all of Bridgerton so far. We got Daphne, we got Benedict, we got Anthony. They're in the room. Benedict, Anthony talking about the wedding. Daphne comes in and Anthony is uh, unsure she would have made it or unsure why she's late. And she says, you know, brother, I didn't actually think this was going to happen. Because she needs to know the truth. And Benedict's like, whoa, wait, who's, who, hey, I'm only kind of drunk. I'm, I, I am the best man. And I'm only, I'm only kind of drunk. I'm only kind of wasted right now. Who's holding what from whom? And Anthony's like, get the fuck out of here. But like, Benedict, the Duchess has opinions, which is such a good line. The line reading of, it seems the Duchess has opinions, just amazing from Anthony. So Benedict gets kicked out. He has this best, like, Oh, like that face where he goes, but I want to be involved, Anthony. So good. Everything about that is just incredible facial acting from Benedict here. And then we get 
an amazing conversation from Daphne and Anthony, which I will not do justice in my breakdown, where both of them are are particularly right and particularly wrong. I, I side with Anthony mostly in this conversation, but I get where Daphne is coming from. There's just a lot to kind of go through here. Daphne's obviously referring to his, you know, his love for Kate or his feelings for Kate and that Edwina needs to know the truth before making a decision, which is point one for Daphne. That is very, very true. Anthony's defense is pretty much the sunk cost fallacy. If you're not familiar with, you know, logical fallacies, you can Google them. Um, I learned about them in some uni course I took, and it was very interesting. Um, it's interesting to learn learn about them from, like, a professor who can explain them instead of just Googling them, but my... My interpretation of this is it's pretty much the sunk cost fallacy. You're already in too deep. It's what makes people lose more money in gambling all the time. Is hey, I'm already in $1,000. What's being down $1,200? Well, obviously, the difference is $200 more, right? But once you're so far into it, it feels like the cost of coming out of it is, is just too great. And so it's a fallacy because it doesn't logically make any sense. In this case, it's not quite that way because there is some logic and some sense that it makes in, in, in the sense that... Uh, Anthony's kind of right like hey if I back out now I will ruin Edwina Edwina will be ruined I will lose all of my honor remember Lady Bridgerton says like a gentleman can't pull out um, only the woman can or else you you must keep your word you must keep your honor and so it's not quite the sunk cost fallacy in the sense that there is a little bit of logic to it. However, on the whole, you know, Daphne's making a lot of good points. Anthony's defense makes a lot of good points. The way the society works, Edwina will be shunned. Anthony will have no honor. And he makes the point, hey, I am trying to make sure that this family sustains itself so you, Daphne, can be respectable enough to marry a duke. And in my head... Also for Eloise, who's super ungrateful about the whole thing. So the Eloise can either get married or not. Like, Eloise also is currently not married, not putting any effort into the social season. And nothing seems to be happening with that, right? Like, the family is respectable. Nobody is kind of snooping around in their business. And Anthony is correct in saying that, hey, I got to do what I got to do for this family. Daphne does my least favorite maneuver and brings up, you know, Bridger Dad. And it's just such a low blow, again, to be like, hey... What do you think dad would say on a day like this? Like, first of all, fuck off. Second of all, Anthony's point where he had different words for me than he did for you makes perfect sense. Of course, Bridger dad would have different words for his firstborn son who is going to end up being the head of the family than he would for his fourth child, his daughter, who is going to be married into a different one. And Anthony brings this up. Like, he had different words for me than he did for you. But also, Daphne, you were born to marry into another family, which you did, need I remind you, to a duke. You are a duchess on the on the good backing of this family and a little bit of, you know, the duke. And a little bit of the Duke's really hot and made out with you in the bush and grabbed your ass a little bit. And I tried to kill him in a duel, but then you stopped the duel. And we can go we can go back to all of that. But it's a great point from Anthony here. It's like it's easy to be selfish when you have no one to whom you must be responsible is a fair point, and I love that from Anthony. Like, hey Daphne, you get to be a little more selective, man. Like you get to marry into a difficult family. I have to fight for the family I have. I have to fight not not for the one that I want, but for this one that already exists because I'm the head of that family and that's all making sense to me. And Daphne comes back with a counterpoint, which I think is also cool as well. When, when she says, I don't know if I fully agree with it, but I liked it from Daphne as a character where she's like, look, brother, we get it. You have your duty. You're tr what you're trying to do is admirable and you're trying to get us together and, you know, you're trying to make sure. But, like, none of us like you for it. It just makes us pity you. 
It just makes us look at you and feel sad because like now, like what is Daphne to do? Like all Daphne sees is just deception. Like, okay, you're going to deceive it. You're going to go to this wonderful woman, Edwina. You're going to deceive her into a marriage for which you really like her sister more all for this duty for a family that already has quite a bit of respect you know what i mean like i get where daphne's coming from and i like that she kind of vocalized that even if i don't think it's an entirely fair anthony is allowed to make the point that hey what he's doing he's doing for his family but his family is allowed to make the counterpoint that we don't appreciate what you're doing for us those are both two things that can be true at the same time and i like that they're having this little battle with each other here Anthony goes on to say, I'm happy for you, sister, but I am not like you, which is also an important to bring up. Like, hey, Daph, look, we're not the same people. We have different responsibilities. We have different roles in this society. And also we are just different people, right? You might want to marry for love. I do not want to marry for love. That is a difference. This is a bridge we do not have to cross together. We can both stay on our own side of it. More great points coming out here. This scene really is one of the best scenes in all of Bridgerton. It just, you know, everyone's living in the gray. They're all kind of right. They're all kind of wrong. It's all in the mud. It's all just there for us to kind of pick apart, which I, I'm a fan. I don't know if you could tell I'm a fan of this scene. And there's another interesting part here where Daphne says, like, everyone should choose to love. Everyone should, you know, it should be a right to choose who we love and all of that. And I think Daphne's right. And what the Bridgerton family fights for is admirable. Both both Mama Bridgerton and Daphne are in this for the love. Love your part. You can be, you can do both. Like Daphne's trying to say, you can be happy and fulfill your duty. No one is making you do one or the other. You can do both at the same time, which is another great point. From Daphne. However, it does what I don't think is happening to Anthony that is just someone acknowledging that they understand his position. Now, even if they don't agree with it, someone, Daphne, Mama Bridgerton, someone needs to go to him and be like, look, you do not have to choose between being happy and fulfilling your duty. However, we understand, I understand where he's coming from and what he's trying to do. And no one really voices that opinion, which is kind of a bummer or Anthony here, because I think that's an opinion that probably needs to be to be voiced here. The other thing to consider too, is it's all well and good for the Bridgertons to all want to marry for love and all that. That is not how this society works. You don't just get to follow, I guess Anthony, because he's a Viscount and desirable and, you know, unless another Duke comes along or a Marquis, a Marquis, which is a thing that we haven't seen any Marquis in this show. But that's the thing I learned about. It's above a Viscount. Uh, unless one of those comes along, he's always going to be the most desirable person of the season. Maybe he gets more of a choice. But what Daphne and Mama Bridgerton ignore is that it's all well and good to want to do a thing, but that option is not going to be available to all eight Bridgertons. I'm sure it is because this is a series of books about them and they probably all end up happily ever after. But like statistically speaking, not every Bridgerton is going to get to marry for love. This is not the love is the least important thing in this society when it comes to marriage. And so... The acknowledgement that, well, what Daphne's saying is admirable, always, it's a little easier to say than it is to do. I think that acknowledgement would be great as well, but overall, just what a fantastic scene from, from these two. The bangles are back. They are given back to Kate by Edwina, and the hilariously ironic line of, I don't want it to feel like I'm taking what is rightfully yours when she gives the bangles back is genuinely just laugh out loud funny. I do like this moment for what we're going to learn and continue to learn about Edwina is um, she's just a lovely, genuinely kind person, right? Like this, this, her, her outburst, I think is definitely justified, 
However, on the whole, she's just very kind and, and sympathetic and understanding. And we're going to get that a lot more with the queen and the king. But here, it's like, hey, Kate, these are your bangles. Like, I, I'm about to get married and be a Viscountess and do all of this fun shit. And I'm going to have a good life. I don't, also, I don't also need your bangles. Like, these are for you when you get married. And so I want you to have them. You know, the line that she says, I don't want to take what's rightfully yours, is hilarious considering how this is going to go. But in the moment, just plays as a really kind thing to do. From Edwina's perspective, we move on into the wedding, though, where we get Sign of the Times by Harry Styles. What a good song. Uh, I, I found the covers not to be as good this season so far uh, up until this moment where it kind of picks up back where season one left off with the covers. So uh, Sign of the Times, wonderful pick here. I, I kind of wish As It Was had been released before Bridgerton because I think As It Was would have been a perfect song for some of this like three-way Skylar Sisters type thing that's going on here. Yeah, but that's all right maybe maybe in next season we get a little shot of everyone in the crowd and i just wanted, wanted to point out benedict he gives a little wink and colin just looks so proud and other than eloise it does seem like in the moment all of the bridgertons are at least going to pretend to be super supportive which is is, is just really nice and it, it, again this is what i want eloise to do like even if you're not fully supportive be there put a smile on your face get through the day and then go back to hating everything i don't know um but that was a cool little shot of all the bridgertons in the in the crowd we get we get everyone kind of coming into the the wedding and it starts with kate and oh my god we're going straight to horny jail because they give kate the longest i, I get that the aisle doesn't actually get longer for kate but it feels like 10 miles long like kate is walking so from so far away and anthony's just staring at her the whole time mama bridgerton is on it he's looking at the way kate is or anthony is looking at kate and mama bridgerton has this look on her face like oh no no fuck 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 not this this is oh god oh no oh my god no he's in love with her and she has this face she has the doom face on like she knows this is all gonna go to shit in a moment here so that was just what a good facial reaction scene from Mama Bridgerton. Edwina walks in and is absolutely stunning, just gorgeous in this dress. Very much um, somebody who is filling in the role of the bride at a wedding hosted by the queen. The modiste, Madame Delacroix, does an excellent job with this dress here. Looks absolutely in incredible. And she's going to get to wear it for most of the episode, which is awesome. You're going to put this dress together. You might as well wear it, even if you're not going to get married anthony even looks at her and has this cute kind of smile like oh yeah she is cute like I, li I like that from anthony knowing he thinks kate is the hottest person to ever exist still finding time to reserve on the spectrum the kind of cute part of the spectrum for edwina when she walks down you know it's just a nice gesture from anthony a little bit the archduke starts talking and oh my goodness just he's saying some wild shit something about men's carnal desires or whatever which is just like Nope, I'm out. I'm out on the Archduke, but that's fine. As he's speaking, Anthony does the same thing he did at the boat. This has happened like two or three times now. The audio goes away. He's staring at Kate. He's imagining the wedding is for Kate instead. Kate's got the wedding dress on. Oh my goodness, the, the, the horny jail alarms are going off. We're going to need the ambulance to come in. Daphne's going to have to like snap him out of it. It's going to be a, a whole issue here. Then he kind of snaps out, out of it. The, the classic trope of waiting 
he's trying to say I do or the Archduke or Edwina or somebody's trying to say like, hey, you gotta, hey, Anthony, I know you're distracted, but you gotta repeat after what the guy is saying and he's kind of catching on to it. And then Chekhov's bangles come in. Kate, dro- it's, cl- she unclass, this is wild. This is ridiculous. Like, Kate, I-, I give a lot of shit to Eloise and the Bridgertons for not being able to like put it together for just an hour. Kate and Anthony are, un- they're, they're not even real people. Like they are so horny for each other. They can't even, like she's like so fidgety at this wedding that she's undoing the bang, like, ridiculous. And then it falls on the ground. And Anthony, the groom at his own wedding, there's no one else. There's a hundred people in this room for like whatever. There's someone else who can go and get this bangle, but no, 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 no. Anthony has to pick it up in the sexiest, most romantic, most, you can't just like pick it up and hand it to her like a normal person. No, 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 no. He has to like do it in the, the, the most obvious way to Edwina that he is fallen completely for Kate. Edwina catches the look between them, which again, calling back to Kate's line about sometimes it's just a look. Lamau, okay, Kate. Because uh, she catches the look between them. Edwina bolts it. She's just like Rachel of the first episode of Friends, you know, like just running away from the wedding she's she needs a moment and she runs away everyone gasps it's all very uh, dramatic and to to her credit this is all gonna this is all gonna make sense in retrospect obviously but that look was sexy like that look was very clear if they're gonna make it so like she goes from super um oblivious to just knows everything that look was definitely sexy enough to convince me that that was true edwina bolts the f- <laughs> the fucking Chekhov's fire we had Chekhov's bangles and Chekhov's fireworks paying off in the same scene the fireworks go off which is again truly laugh out loud funny so good such an impressive showing of the fireworks and then we get Brimsley the queen's like what is happening at my wedding and Brimsley's like uh, it seems the bride has run away from the altar your majesty and she's like not literally you fucking dunce like what like that I watched that happen what I meant was what like why is it happening like, I'm surprised she didn't throw Brimsley off the peacock ledge because that was that was too much Brimsley you know but Brimsley Brimsley my man my man you're so much you're on top of things you seem like a guy who knows what he's doing this queen doesn't seem like the kind of person that would put up with someone who doesn't know what they're doing. You know what she meant to ask. Like, Brimsley, Brimsley, put it together. So Somebody in the show needs to have it together for an hour. For an hour. That would be nice. We move on to the aftermath of the wedding, which is going to take up a large portion of this episode, which is, again, longer, by the way. I like this episode and the first episode being a little bit longer. Not ideal for this podcast recording because my throat is killing me. But hey, you know what? We all we all must suffer. We all do what we must to keep the show going. Uh, Edwina ain't want no tea. Mama Sharma is coming in there. It's just nerves, Edwina. We're going to get you some tea. It's going to be great. And Edwina's like, I ain't want no fucking tea mom i want to know why kate and anthony have feelings for each other and i haven't noticed it till right now that's what i want and kate kind of runs in and i just i enjoyed that edwina was angry some of the things she says kind of unfair she's not i want to point out there are two it's hard to kind of gauge guilt and fault here because the two things can be true at the same time Edwina is not at fault for this at all. Zero percent. Zero percent. None of this is her fault. Kate and Anthony should have been honest with her. One hundred percent. However, at no point is she going to kind of acknowledge that she 
kind of set Kate and Anthony up on all these days. Like, Edwina also kind of dug her own grave a little bit, which is not her fault, and in retrospect was a poor choice. At the time, it felt like a great choice. Daphne at the time kind of knew it was a bad one, right? So I don't want to fault Edwina. I just want to point out that at no point in any of the sequences is anyone going to be like, well... You know, maybe they wouldn't have fallen in love if, you know, even though it wouldn't have been fair, it would have made sense and was definitely something a kind of a real person would say. But that's okay. Edwina set them up on all these dates. They fell in love. And now we are getting the aftermath of all of that. Kate comes in and tries to explain that her intentions were pure. Like she used to have feelings for the Viscount, which is like, okay, we just, we just saw the bangle thing happen. Like that was a minute ago. You can't convince me after that that you no longer have feelings for the Viscount, okay? Like, come on, what are we doing here? However, what she is saying is still kind of true. Again, multiple, this is the problem with a lot of, you know, modern 2022, like, politics and societies, that so many things can be true at the same time, and more people can have multiple intentions, like Penelope in this episode is, like, two different reasons for wanting to find out about Theo and all that. Like, so there's a lot of complicated stuff going on here, right? Kate is telling the truth. Like, she ended up accidentally falling for Anthony, through this process but her intentions remained pretty pure the whole time it just did not go exactly as planned she was genuinely looking out for edwina wanted her to succeed wanted to set her up for life she says i gave what i had without regret i i wouldn't i wouldn't change anything i believe her i wouldn't i like she fell in love with Anthony. She should have been honest about that, yes. But that does not negate the fact that her... Like, it doesn't mean her intentions the whole time have been wrong. Edwina is kind of jumping to the conclusion that, okay, Kate has always loved Anthony and was only setting me up with him to project her own desires onto my life, which is partially true, but not the whole truth, because Kate was also genuinely trying to set Edwina up with a good match and trying to make things work and trying to be, you know, so there's a lot going on here. I don't think what Edwina says is perfectly fair. I'm just glad that she's angry about it because I would be too. But Kate's still making some good points, right? Like Kate falling for Anthony and not being honest about it is bad, but it doesn't invalidate the entire thing, just parts of it. One of the things that's super funny when it happens in TV and super funny when it happens in real life, just not to you, is when someone asks you a simple yes or no question and you answer with like Edwina I or blank I. That is never the right answer. Edwina says, do you love him? And her, she goes, Edwina I. And what she's trying to, Edwina, you don't really understand. Like, is it love? I don't know if it's love. I can't confirm that I love him, but I definitely like him. And we touched hands a few times and I, I got a bee sting and I put his hand on my bosom. And that was, that made me feel a bunch of things. I had to go cool off by a pillar and, you know, like that, that that's what she's, that's what's going on in her head. What she should have said was no. Like, just like, again, you're already so into it. I wouldn't have even faulted her for lying. I get that she can't lie here because we end up needing Kate and Anthony to be together. But you've already lied so much to get to this point. Like, just don't, like, I'm not, mm, this is going to make me sound like a huge dick that I'm advocating for everyone to just lie for each other. I'm not. I don't think Kate should actually lie. But within the character of the TV show that we're all watching, and like what Anthony was saying about the sunk cost thing makes at least a little bit of sense. I'm, I am a little bit surprised Kate just doesn't say no. Like, do you love him? It is believable that... It would be believable to me that Kate just has like fleeting feelings for him or they're just like physically passionate feelings. Like, I can see how he might engage a person type of feelings. 
and not like true deep love or whatever especially because none of these fucking people know what love is because they've never fallen in love or know about sex or any of it so it's not even like they can even quantify love in a real way we like in 2022 no one can quantify love in like a real proper way so you know what like it's, it is a little bit surprising if it's just like do you love him she just says no I do not and that whole thing could have been smoothed over a little easier but she goes with the tried and true Edwina I which is the worst possible thing to say and then mama Sharma, you know what mama Sharma can go with eloise into shut the fuck up jail somewhere else because mama Sharma's like you have kept so much from me kate it's like wait a second like where have you been lady sharma like what have you been up to what have you been doing all right it is not kate's job to update you on all of the crushes she has on the viscounts of the land like get the fuck out of here sorry i'm swearing a lot this episode maybe it's because it's been a couple weeks since i recorded the podcast and i work with kids so i can't swear at work and i'm just unloading it on this podcast but i am putting mama sharma in this scene with eloise and just like get the fuck out of here like that is unreasonable mama sharma getting mad at kate is the most unreasonable thing that happens in this episode because Again, Kate could have just said no and lied again, which would have been interesting. But also, it is Mama Sharma has been doing zero good. She had that one good moment, I think, at the dinner where she defends her daughters about like growing up away from all of the titles and whatnot, which only ended up with Edwina here trying to marry for a title and whatnot, you know, so whatever. But, like, just... Just shut the fuck up. Just get out of here. It's not nice. It's not fair. You're like, we don't need to do, like, Kate has already dug herself a big enough grave here. You don't need to add to it, Mama Sharma. When you got your own grave going on somewhere, like, get out of here. Get out of here. That's all I got to say for Mama Sharma. Get out of here. I put in my notes in capital letters. Get out of here. Kate retreats to a closet that is worth more than everything I will ever own or make in my entire life. And <laughs> she has this moment like where she throws the bangles on the ground like, you yeah, fuck these bangles, man. If I hadn't worn them, if Edwina just had kept them, I wouldn't have dropped it. Anthony wouldn't have looked at me. And then Edwina would get married. And like, she's almost like blaming the bangles. <laughs> it's just a funny moment where it's like, the bangles had nothing to Chekhov's bangles have already done so much damage. She's just like hurling them on the floor, which makes it even funnier later when she picks them up. So yeah, bangles being thrown to the floor by Kate, uh, which is interesting. This closet is fun. I like this closet. It's where it's got a lot of stuff in it. This is where they find all of the peacocks to just like place out or all the fireworks or all the flowers or everything. They just, this is where they just store everything. I suppose the Bridgertons are all in the room and I don't know how to say this other than they are all extraordinarily unhelpful and probably the last thing Anthony needs. So they're all coming up with their own reasons why Edwina maybe ran away. And this is very funny because the younger ones have the dumbest. Like it kind of goes oldest to youngest. Like um, Gregory says something about like maybe her, maybe she needed the new dress. And then Hyacinth goes, that's absurd. She looked beautiful. Like, okay, the, the two youngins have, you know, dumb ideas. That's fine. Eloise is, I'm not even going to mention, Eloise is just being a jerk. I already talked about how much I dislike Eloise in this episode. So, you know, Eloise, I just put, I put here, get out of here. Not right now. She's going, we're putting her in timeout with Mama Sharma. They are going to go into the other closet adjacent to Kate's and they're in timeout in that closet right now. Just as you're visualizing this podcast, uh, until I say so, Eloise and Mama Sharma are in a timeout prison next to Kate's closet in the other closet full of valuable stuff benedict comes in and is actually a great brother he's like hey guys family family we're in a like does do we need to be here 
Do we need to be saying things to Anthony? Maybe he just needs a little bit of a break to figure this out for himself. Is that what you need, Anthony? He is being a great big brother and a great best man. Anthony has this look at Daphne where he's like, fuck, fuck, yep, yep, fuck, fuck. She was right. She knows. Oh, boy. And then he's like, he has this moment where he knows he's got to escape the room. So he goes, yes, precisely what I need. And then walks out. Mama Bridgerton. Mama Bridgerton knows her daughter. Like, you may be a duchess now, but you're still my daughter. And Daphne ends up in an off-screen scene, spilling the beans about the Anthony and Kate situation. However, I just want to point out, not as bad as Mama Sharma, if Mama Bridgerton paid slightly more attention, she would have figured this out. But also later, she is going to say out loud to Lady Danbury, Daphne confirmed something that I had been fearing for a, quite a long time. And it's like, you didn't fucking say anything, Mama Bridgerton. Like, I guess she kind of did. But in a way that just made her seem like an asshole, where she's like, I like Edwina, but I sense that you do not love Edwina or whatever. Like, she didn't come straight up and say, hey, look, man, like, I know you, I know you want to marry Edwina, but like, we know you love Kate, so just marry Kate. Like, he, she, that's not what she said. So, uh, Mama Bridgerton, also on the hook here. If she had just been a little more attentive or just had any sense of consistency with her position on uh, Anthony's marriage, things would have gone a little better. So, you know, Mama Bridgerton, you are partially at fault for this as well. Not not hugely at fault, but at least partially. And it's not, it's not up to Daphne to tell you the things that she knows. She's a duchess now, Mama Bridgerton. She's an adult. It's not up to her to update you on, on what she knows about Anthony's life. Now that we've seen the initial fallout from the Sharmas and the Bridgertons' perspective, we move to the Queen and Lady Danbury. The Queen is so <laughs> kind of solely worried about Lady Whistledown, which is interesting because everyone's here. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know what Lady Whistledown is gonna write that most people didn't just watch, but whatever. You know, I'm sure there are hundreds or thousands of high society. I get the sense is is small compared to the population, but not that small in terms of just overall people. And I'm sure you know only 10% of the people or whatever or 5% were invited to the wedding. And you also have all the people out in the country, like the Sheffields, who don't come back to London all the time. So there is quite a few people for Lady Whistledown to write about. However, most of the people that matter are already here and watched it happen, so I don't even know what Whistledown would write to kind of throw more fuel on the fire. I think the fire is already pretty raging on its own. Lady Danbury says, we may be in a situation that is unsalvageable. And then the Queen is like, oh! the fuck up lady danbury wait it's like put the brakes on everything you're saying this is your idea and this is true the queen is this whole system is dumb but as long as as long as we acknowledge the dumb system is legitimate for a second this is correct the queen is like hey lady danbury i wouldn't have even thought about the sharmas as a as a diamond or anything because mama sharma was my diamond and she just fucking left to marry a clerk and so i didn't like the sharmas because I hold a grudge, Lady Danbury. And you mentioned that Edwina would spice things up. And I listened to you. You vouched for her. You're sponsoring them right now. So you got to go and fix this, Lady Danbury. Because you it was this whole thing, making Edwina the Diamond, was your idea. Which is 100% true. We got the tapes. We can go back. We can watch it. I'm with the Queen on this one. The whole system is dumb. But as long as I acknowledge the dumb system... The queen is, is got one over on Lady Danbury here. And also, like, what's Lady Danbury to do? She mentions later that the queen is the monarch of the country. Fair enough. If the monarch asks you to do something, you're probably going to go do it. And in this case, it is your fault in a way. So, yeah, Lady Danbury's got to go and fix this. In the gardens, you know, everyone's trying to figure out what's going on with the wedding. So 
The queen has said, everyone to the gardens. No one gets to leave. We'll be back shortly. There's an un We're at the movie theater. There's an uninterrupted power outage with the projector. We'll get it back up and running. We'll, we'll continue to roll the tapes. Go have some drinks in the garden. We get some conversations so stupid. It makes me wonder why any of these people are allowed to be like high society and not have to work for a living. Maybe not working for a living has done this to them because they get all this random gossip about eating. Like I heard that that Edwina had to not eat and she's been leeched for weeks to fit into this dress. Like, okay, whatever. Uh, the men are just worried about <laughs> the men aren't worried about this wedding at all they're worried about their own prospects like if the diamond can just run away from the altar of a man then what does that pose to our prospective wives when they marry us if they can just run away from the traps we've set for them like okay the gentlemen are still being assholes and i mean not more assholey than they've already been in this society where they're all kind of assholes but still they're just being assholes the the feathering to <laughs> Lady Featherington is trying to throw it to Prudence again, kind of like she did at the Cowper dinner, where she's trying to get people interested in the diamonds, and she's like, oh, look at Prudence and her necklace, and Prudence is, like, like just, in, like, I don't, I don't know how to describe how much I laughed out loud. She is mimicking a, a moving statue, so the statue is moving positions, and she's mimicking this statue pretty much the dumbest thing she could be doing but also the most useless thing she could be doing considering her whole job is to roam around with this necklace which is just so funny to watch again the writing in this episode for these little comedic moments absolutely incredible Penelope and Eloise have a little another little rendezvous where Eloise is continuing to stumble madly into love she has this great line. She's not quite at the point in this relationship where they're doing the what are we conversation. Are we dating? Are we exclusive? Are we not? Are we friends? Like, what is it that we're doing? I assume that's not a thing in this society, but that's kind of where she's at in terms of language because she just wants to know how Theo feels. You know, maybe, it, maybe Penelope, this is about more than books and thoughts. Maybe I like this guy, whatever that means, because I don't know what that means. And so Eloise is saying, knowing one way or another, knowing is a relief, not knowing is a torment. Uh, truer words have never been spoken by Eloise. Lovely, I just put my notes, lovely line from Eloise. A pen, a pen says, no, I've never felt that way. Which, like, okay, Penelope, we know you got the hots for Colin. Like, get, get out of here, Penelope. We're watching the show. We know you got the hots for Colin. Like, let's give it a break. Don't. It's fine for you to not want her to go see Theo because the lady with, but don't pretend that you don't, you don't pretend you, I guess, I guess the, the equation is if Penelope says yes, then Eloise asks who, and then she has to either lie or say your brother. And then Eloise goes, my, you are not allowed to love my brothers, though they are off limits in this friendship or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I assume that's how it would go. So Pen Penelope lies here, but we, we know she's lying as the audience. Anthony goes to see Edwina, which is great because they're going to go, they're going to talk it out, they're going to find a resolution, they're going to get married, and everything is going to get back on track. Just kidding, this is a fucking train wreck, it's off the rails and everything's going to crash and burn by the end of this episode. Anthony comes to talk to her. Edwina says, please do not come to uh, offer me more lies and half-truths. And we can, I'm not going to have this conversation in this podcast because it's a hard conversation to get through. But like we talk, like uh, we, we do get a little bit like, what is a lie? What is withholding the truth? You know, there's all these words, especially in 2022, like misinformation or an untruth or a fib or a white lie or whatever. And at what point are these different? At what point does it just all amount to lying? At what point is withholding information the same as lying like if edwina never asked hey anthony do you like my sister 
was him withholding that ever information ever really lying or was it just a little was it just um you know mischievous a, a little bit of uh, subterfuge a little bit of mis was it misleading but not a lie i don't have any answers for this but we all have to kind of find a way through ourselves personally to figure out what is lying what is misleading what is misinformation what is how much does intention play into this uh whether the intentions are good or bad very interesting stuff again that's why this episode is so fun because we get to explore all of these things edwina says is it the marriage or me that you want and he says both which good start good start i want you and the marriage there's two things here and i want them both that's helpful he's not selling it very well in a 2022 sense but i think he's doing a good enough job i think the problem is here he's not talking about the kate issue the kate issue is the problem the rest of it edwina kind of already knew about but i think in 20 in 18 14 or whatever wherever they are this is a good enough job he's saying like hey you know i want you i've courted you i've done all the steps i i didn't deviate i i, I pursued you even when people said i shouldn't uh, you know, I didn't leave when I found, I didn't leave once the Sheffields insulted me or insulted us. I didn't leave once I found out you didn't have a dowry. I'm still, he, he forgets to, again, he forgets to say that I was going to until Kate told me I couldn't because it would upset you, but whatever. Right. So I think on the whole, he's doing an okay job of selling this marriage back to Edwina. Um, Edwina says, is it because you love me? And I wonder what, maybe it's that Edwina doesn't really low, know what love is, but I do wonder what gave Edwina the idea that Anthony fully like fell in love with her. Like, has that ever been a plot point? They had this little conversation at the boat thing where she says like, our, our relationship was like puttering at first. And then it, it overwhelmed us very quickly when she was talking about, uh, what's Mr. Dorset maybe and Kate on the boat when when Anthony says oh they don't even know each other but I I don't really ever get the sense that Edwina should have been under the impression that he was like head over heels in love with her that's not what the sense I got was and maybe I'm forgetting that this was a plot point somewhere but whatever uh, again it doesn't really matter because it's noble for Edwina to want to be loved in her marriage before she makes a choice so I'm not holding it against her I do just wonder if she was going into today fully under the impression that Anthony truly loved her in the way that she wanted to be loved which is just interesting. Like, has he ever said that to her? Whatever. Well, I, I'm not sure, but it seems like a little bit of Edwina kind of just assumed something that was never really true. The, the Kate issue is fascinating when they talk about Kate a little bit because there's two problems here. On the one hand, Edwina knows that Kate is the problem, that Kate has feelings for him and that he probably has feelings for Kate. And that's going to be on the on the, the, a problem. But on the other hand, Kate is still... Her sister, who she wants to, like, see in her life, we, we can assume. And so when Anthony says, like, the, to solve this Kate problem, it's like removing a thorn. She's going to go back to India as she wishes, she wishes she will have no part in our lives. We'll be able to, like, have a happy marriage together without her. And on one end, that's reassuring to Edwina that Kate's going to go back to India. That means she can't have feelings for him. He can't have feelings for her, which is not how feelings work, but whatever. And on the other hand, though, it's tragic because I'm sure she wants 
She's been trying to convince Kate to stay in London. She wants Kate to be around and a part of her life. So if the solution to the problem is that you don't ever get to see your sister again or whatever, that can't be good either. So this whole problem is fascinating. So many layers to kind of parse here for Edwina to make a decision. And then she says, I need to imagine my life how I want it to be. And Anthony, you got to fuck off. So Anthony goes and, and leaves the room to let Edwina ponder her life before she makes a decision. It's been a minute, but we're back in Kate's kind of, you know, depression closet where she, her, we won't call it a depression closet. That's insensitive. We'll call it a, a self-reflection closet. And I kind of wrote in my notes, like she's, she's pumping herself out. She, All right, we're done crying. The bangles are back on. We're going out to fix this and fuck. No, 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 not Anthony, not Anthony. No, not Anthony. Did he see me? Did he see me? Maybe if I run into the closet quickly enough, he won't. Oh no, he's opening the door. Oh fuck. And I just, <laughs> I like how quickly the, um, her determination to go back out there and fix this was so, so, so quickly squandered by the fact that Anthony is just right outside the closet when she leaves it's fucking nuts by the way that anthony goes into this closet and 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 kate even says this like do you realize how improper this is this is ridiculous but also here's how i thought this episode was gonna go i am going to be honest just because we we can spoil up to the end of this episode i was spoiled that we were gonna get a, a wedding for edwina and anthony where they did not get married i knew that that was gonna happen from episode two or so when i was doing the podcast However, I didn't know how it was going to end up if we or like if we end up with Kate at any point. And so I thought what was going to happen twice in this episode was that they were going to get caught. You cannot be doing this. Kate and Anthony. And to this credit in this scene, to her credit, it's just Anthony, although Kate has said multiple moments like this, too. Anthony cannot go into this room alone with Kate because if somebody catches them, they're going to have to get married. But what I thought was going to happen to avoid the wedding sin was that they would get caught here and then they would have to get married and that would fuck everything. That is crazy. That is wild. But Anthony is in this room and he's trying to talk to Kate like, you need to go do something. You can't just let edwina ruin her life and kate responds logically with a what what would you like me to do it's kind of me that's ruined her life dude like what am i gonna go say to her that'll that'll get her to, to fix this i'm actually quite proud of her to be honest because she's kind of figured this out and she's harsher than we both knew she was capable of being again which i like that edwina's kind of mad about this um and then when Kate says, I have ruined her life, I put in my notes, well, like, you almost didn't. If you hadn't just, if you just kept the bangle on, like, you were so close to not ruining her life. But she realizes the disaster that this situation could pose. Which Anthony does not. He's kind of just in it to win it for Kate at this point, I suppose. And so she tries to leave, and then Anthony grabs her arm, which is very ungentlemanly, but of course leads to, like, the another horny jail moment where, like, Anthony... Like, in the middle of this crisis, you still just can't... Don't touch her. Don't look at her. Don't go in the same room as her. Stay away from her. Somebody needs to keep these two apart because this is a problem. They cannot act like adults around each other. It's ridiculous. Um, but he grabs her arm and then they fall into like this whole thing and then she needs to leave and all that. Like, oh boy. Oh boy, this is getting complicated. Danbury and Mama Bridgerton are debriefing the entire thing now. We're kind of just moving through people debriefing the aftermath here. Mama Bridgerton finds Lady Danbury and pretty much says like, ha, it's interesting that you are hiding in here and not outside with the peacocks, those dreadful creatures, because it's unlike you to not want to be social and to have nothing to say. 
Lady Danbury is pretty much like, hey, for the first time in my life, I don't know what to do. And this is all very funny. And so they start laughing and they're bonding over their trauma here. This is, you know, a tra this is, you know, is going to have tragic effects socially for both of them. So they're trying to figure this all out. And then they start laughing at the peacocks. And, like, what dreadful... They attack unprovoked, which is... Okay, like, have they... Which is weird, because <laughs> we haven't seen them attack... It would have been cooler if Chekhov's peacocks had attacked somebody, but whatever. Uh, I suppose peacocks attack unprovoked. Lady Danbury has a hilarious line where she says, I'd rather feed my hand to the peacocks than not listen to the Queen of England, which is fair enough. Again, if the monarch's gonna ask you to do something, you kind of gotta do it. I like exploring the kind of gray area of lady danbury not telling mama bridgerton about the kate thing um which they both suspected which again lady bridgerton if you suspected it why didn't you say something because all you said was about edwina you could have mentioned the kate part if you whatever whatever mama bridgerton but for lady danbury i like exploring the little bit of you know moral gray area where it's like it's not wasn't my place like look i knew about the sheffield dowry and all that i didn't set that up though that was all kate's thing and kate's idea and she needed to tell you which is true in a way she kind of needed to tell edwina first however lady danbury conveniently leaving out that she set up the dinner that was not kate's idea kate was not going to set up the dinner kate was just going to get the wedding over receive the dowry that was going to be it that's all no other interaction it was lady danbury that set up the dinner that went so disastrously so she's kind of like not taking the full blame that she should for this situation but it's an interesting moral gray area to explain when you know something and you know that other person should know, but it's not really your place to tell them. That's interesting and happens all the time in real life. And I like exploring that. Kate and Edwina are having their second debrief about the matter where Kate's trying to say, I should have told you, I should have told you everything. And I put, well, you did kind of try, not fully, but you kind of tried at least with the dowry thing if the writers hadn't interrupted you a hundred times. So I'm going to give Kate credit for telling Edwina. She didn't actually tell her, but I'm going to give her the credit for trying to tell her about the dowry thing. Because she tried multiple times. However, she gets no credit for telling her about the Anthony thing because she did not even suggest that she had feelings for Anthony. She then says, I used to have feelings for the Viscount, which is, again, laugh out loud funny. I just wrote in my notes, ha 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 ha, over and over again in all capital letters. Edwina popping in with some great retorts. Why me and why not you? Ugh, so good. Like, Kate, why are you projecting this life onto me when... It, when you could have this life instead, especially if you like the guy and you want it, fair question. Um, the, the answer is obviously because she doesn't command the dowry from the Sheffields, therefore can't set Edwina up. What she's overlooking about Anthony is that if she married Anthony, he would probably just pay for her. Like, he would just probably set up Edwina and Mama Sharma anyway. So in the end, it doesn't really matter, I don't think. But, you know, fair enough. But there is an original reason why it can't be Kate and it has to be Edwina. Although I think that calculation changes as the season goes on. Up until this point, you can be pretty sure that if it's if it's not Edwina that Anthony marries, that he'll set up the Sharmas in either case. This is where Kate says, look, I did this for you. Like, my intentions were pure. It has not worked out. I do like, oh, she doesn't say she likes the guy, but she likes the guy. And But I gave it without regret. I did my best. I'm not going to be perfect all the time. I gave 100% of what I had without regret. And I really appreciate someone saying that because that's so true to life. You know, none of us are going to be perfect in everything that we do. None of us are going to, you know, do everything well. Sometimes we're going to do things very poorly. And sometimes we're going to have to learn from those mistakes. But just being able to say, like, I did what I could. I gave what I had. I don't regret any of it. With the information I had at the time, I did my best. And that's oftentimes... 
the downfall of people. You know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. New information would have led you to make a different choice. You know, with the information that I had in the circumstance that I was in, with the variables that I could consider, I did my best. I gave my best. It wasn't good enough. You're going to be mad at me about it. That's fine. I did my best, though. And I, I just like that Kate was voicing that out loud. Edwina, I, I think, is not really understanding that, well, Kate has fucked this whole thing up, that she hasn't been, like, her intentions were pure, even if she was kind of dishonest about parts of them. Um, so Edwina's not giving her that credit, which I wouldn't either if I was this mad. So completely fair for Edwina to not give Kate this this credit. Uh, she talks about not wanting her betrayal or her, her pity or whatever it is. And then Kate goes with the I'm your sister and Edwina goes with the half-sister, which is just right under the belt. Such a low blow. Not in the same way the Bridger Dad thing is a low blow, though. This one uh, is just something mad people say to each other, so that's fair enough. It's not really that fair to Kate, but in the moment, fair enough. She's she's angry, and angry people say things. We've all been there. Don't pretend like you've never said something when you're angry that you regret later. It happens to all of us. What Edwina is right about, though, is that she is a grown woman now, and Kate should have realized that, like, hey, I think that the, the social season in this era is, like, 21 years old. I think they're meant to be in the books in the show, like, 21 when they go out in the social season, so pretty old considering we would have assumed if you had just asked me how old were people getting married in the Regency era before I watched the show or anything, I would have said like 16 maybe. And so, you know, pretty, pretty old, like full adults in, in this situation, which is, you know, a pleasant surprise, right? But even when I did some research, I did some research in the Facebook group and on YouTube about how these social seasons actually worked. And it seemed like the average age of marriage for, for women was like 23, 24, and for men was like 26, 27. So it was actually genuinely in real life pretty old so they were genuinely uh, adults which is is fascinating the part that i don't think edwina quite gets correct here is that she's going to think about her life and make her own choice for the first time in her life and the part that i disagree with edwina is that i'm surprised she's under the impression that she has not been choosing this like yes she has been misled about parts of it along the way and now with full knowledge she can make a better choice she has more information to work with to make a different decision however kate was trying to keep her away from anthony it was her choice to kind of go after him and pursue him and you know keep letting him or keep trying to explain to kate like hey you got to be on your best behavior i'm doing my best here you got to go on these dates edwina has been choosing this the whole time it's not the situation where kate's like forcing her into this or anything so i think edwina the part where she was being the most unfair was is where she was insinuating that she was kind of choosing what to do for the first time. What she means is I now have more information and can update my choice with the new variables I have to consider because you withheld those from me. However, and you know what? Maybe this is another gray area where withholding information to lead someone to make a choice that you want is also just making the choice for them. There's an interesting bit of you know soci sociology and psychology there to play with. Um, but I don't get the sense that Edwina was ever not choosing this. I get the sense that she just didn't have all the information, which would have been helpful. In fact, I get the sense that for most of the season, Kate was actively trying to keep her away from making this choice. So it's all a little bit weird to kind of work through. Back in the garden, Brimsley is out here spreading them rumors. He's going up. This is We only get one in this episode, which makes sense. We don't have time to see all 25 sequences of spreading rumors to everyone. However, he goes to Lady Cowper and says that Edwina 
is holding up for a better honeymoon, which is a very harsh negotiation tactic. Like, oh, I've decided on the altar that this honeymoon is not sufficient, so I will blackmail everybody here until I get the honeymoon that I want that has the queen's particular approval, which is just hilarious and obviously not true. But Lady Cowper goes and starts spreading it to people, and they're obviously trying to figure out, will this end up in Lady Whistledown as the reason but Penelope's there to see and hear about this, so it will not. But still hilarious. It's, it's nice seeing this little bit of subterfuge in action. The feather scam is working well. People are vibing. People are like, hey, I want to invest in Dem Mines. Um, the boxer, Will Mondrich, understands what's going on a little bit here, or at least that Mr. Featherington isn't being entirely uh, truthful. However, Mr. Featherington, quick on his feet, gets out of the situation uh, where he says, like, what would a boxer know about running a business? And Mondrich is like, oh, the same a gentleman would know about mining and kind of is able to diffuse the situation there before anyone gets too suspicious. So they're collecting the cash. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme, though. I don't know how exactly they're going to pay everyone off, but I suppose we'll get there in the future. Lady Featherington goes to pull Mr. Featherington aside to talk about the logistics of their scam and just, ladies and gentlemen, if you're out here trying to run a scam, I don't scam people. I don't have a lot of insight into how running a pyramid scheme works. If I did, I'd probably have a lot more money than I do right now for a short amount of time before the whole thing fell from underneath me. Um, but one thing I can tell you about running a scam, like most things, it's probably good to figure out the logistics of your scam before you start scamming people. They're talking about who to scam and who not to scam. This is important to have a conversation about this before you start this. Basically, though, they're all just doing this for the audience. So we know the Featheringtons are going to try and scam everybody but the Bridgertons because the Bridgertons are held in good esteem, which hilariously means that they're trying to figure out if we fuck these people over, who's not going to care? Like, if we swindle people out of their money, who is going to then look upon us and not even be mad at us because the other people deserve to have their money swindled. Because they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. Which I find hilarious. Because even if, like let's say they swindle the Cowpers. And then it comes out that they stole all the money. And aren't giving it back to the Cowpers. Right? Surely you'd still be mad about that. Even if you didn't like the Cowpers. And you'd still hold it against the Featheringtons. So this whole thing, it's a dumb scam. It's a dumb, 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 dumb scam. But whatever. These are two dumb scammers having a dumb scam. But again, they should have talked about this beforehand. Mr. and Mrs. Featherington here have a weird bit of intimacy. I don't even know what's going on. These guys are into some shit because he says, I would never I would never dare think you have any affection for others. It would make me jealous. Like, okay. Right. But also, like, uh, is she capable of it? Do we think Mama Featherington is capable of affection? But I put him in, are they getting together? Are they into each other? What is happening? I don't know. I'm not vibing with it. It's such a weird sexual energy between them. I can't tell who's into who, who's kind of, putting out feelers to see if the other one is into the other. I can't tell if Miss Feather Miss Featherington is kinda into his weird flirting or not. I don't it's just weird. I don't like I don't like I don't like it what's happening on my screen with these two characters. It's weird, man. It's weird. The queen, though, is not being weird. She is being hilarious. She's in here lecturing all the kindergartners, you know. Mama Bridgerton, Lady Danbury's coming in here. They're flattering. They, they know they're, like, knee-deep in shit right now, and they're trying to be like, oh, but your grace, your majesty, you know, you've been so nice to put on this wedding, and yada yada this, and yada yada that, and you're wonderful. And the queen's not having any of it. Like, can anyone think of anything to say to their queen other than sheer flattery? Though it is the obvious choice. I like how she can't even escape herself for a second. To, to figure that out he said or he she says or they say to her 
hey, you know, I think Edwina's going to choose not to marry the guy, and that's kind of her choice, right? And then she says, I did not think that the diamond's choice outweighs that of the crown, which is interestingly kind of weird, but that's okay. That, that makes sense. I mean, when you're in charge of the entire country, I can see how that... We have unilateral control. I can see how that kind of mindset makes sense. But check or Edwina interrupts to say, it does not... But before Edwina can kind of explain herself, Chekhov's king is in the room. We get the payoff. The king is here. And oh my God, this is one of the best scenes in any TV show ever. He's excited about the fire. Like they play him off. I know the whole thing about Mad King George and all that. They don't play him off as mad though. Like as crazy. They just play him off as an unfortunate senior citizen with dementia. You know what I mean? Like someone who just has an illness that needs help and attention and, 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 is is trying to do their best with the information they have you know what i mean like like this guy has dementia or alzheimer's and doesn't remember shit but he he still comes across as like a, at least a theoretically a kind person who's trying to be nice to his wife which is just incredible the way the way the actor here plays this scene is so nice he's just excited about the fireworks and he loves her so much he thinks he's here for his wedding to the queen and he's like Lottie, did you see the fireworks? Oh, this wedding is going to be awesome. Am I late? Am I running late for our wedding? I didn't mean to keep you waiting. Oh, like he's such a romantic. This is the most romantic shit that's ever happened on the show, man. This is incredible. Right? And then this is the moment where you can start to tell that the queen did, did this wedding so that she can relive her own love with the king because she does genuinely love him and they had an awesome marriage and stuff until he started going, you know you know, down the tubes with his memory and all of that. And so you start to learn, you know, there's probably two different reasons why this wedding happened. One for the whistle down stuff, but also for her to kind of nostalgically relive her experience, kind of getting married and, and being in this relationship with the king and becoming the, the queen of England. Um, and then they're trying to like diffuse a bomb here a little bit. They're trying to, you know, you know, diffuse the situation and the guards are coming to like drag him away, which just again seems cruel to do to someone with dementia. Again, they're not playing him off as like some mad, violent person who needs to be restrained. So it kind of seems cruel that these guys are like dragging him away. And then Edwina comes in with the save, understanding what's happening with his memory and says, look, King, you know, I've heard so much about your wonderful courtship and the trials and tribulations uh, and, and how much you guys have endured. She's going to make a beautiful bride and a wonderful queen. You're going to lead this empire with with the grace and love that you show for one another. And I think it's time. You need to rest for your wedding. Like your wedding is going to be today. you got to rest for it. And then the, the king goes and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. Uh, sorry to bother you, my, my queen. And then he goes to rest and the queen kind of follows him. And it's just very, very romantic and, 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 and lovely from Edwina. This is also the point here where we see that Edwina kind of decides not to marry Anthony. This is the moment where she's seen kind of this true love happen. She's seen now the queen and the king kind of truly loving each other and kind of what that means and how that looks and feels and everything. And she knows that's not how it looks and feels and what it means with Anthony. And so I think this is the moment in the show too, where she gains this perspective about love to know that marrying Anthony is not going to be the choice that she makes. We jump back to the garden. This episode jumps around in a lot of places, which, which makes sense. It's fine. Colin and Penelope are still cute. I'm rooting for these guys. I've seen on like Reddit and Twitter that people are not rooting for these guys. Like, are you crazy? These two are cute as I like them. I like them for each other. Uh, they're talking about purposes and stuff when Penelope has some bonkers lines here, but that's okay. Well, for a, a little bit too much for me, but that's okay. 
Colin says, your dreams are grander than you let on. And that Lady Crane was right that she cares about him. And of course she cares about him. So this is all just very nice that Colin and Penelope are having this moment together. They start cutting the cake with a sword, which is fucking wild. That was so, so funny. Eloise comes in to leave the wedding, to tell Penelope that she's leaving. And I put in my notes, this is fucking absurd from Eloise. I actively hate this. No gray area, just a lame character moment because she like, this is just dumbing Eloise down to the, the lowest common denominator of her personality for this show. Like, I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna harp on it. The decisions Eloise makes in this episode just kind of make her come across as like, you know, a selfish, entitled Bridgerton who cares nothing for her family or anyone else in her world except for herself and not realizing that her family is what brings her all of the privilege to be able to do all of this in the first place so I just hate this normally I'm with Eloise nor I'm not in this case but let's not I want to be positive on this podcast let's not dwell too much here let's keep chugging along Edwina is in the kind of jewelry room looking at the crown and so much of this scene I I, I love the queen is, you know, walks up and, and talks about what, what she just witnessed. And that was kind of weird, wasn't it? And Edwina says, all that I've witnessed is the love a king shared with his queen, which is, oh, so good. And something about a love that, you know, she's not going to see for a million lifetimes or whatever. And this, again, really cements for me that she's kind of already chosen based on seeing this to, to not marry anthony which is fair enough she's she's gained a new perspective she's made a new decision love that for for edwina she's also just really grounded and responsible and it's nice to have an adult in the show that just is is kind of just a real person she she's yeah she's grounded and reliable and responsible and kind and, and not without her faults but but certainly a good intentioned person doing her best which i i just vibe with i really like that from Edwina, I love this chat about symbols and how the crown is important because it gives permanence to a thing and how Lady Whistledown writes things down because it gives permanence to it instead of just being a word that can peter out at any time. And I often get into this argument. We have this dumb... I'm going to bring you into a little bit of Canadian politics for a little bit here. We have this dumb debate all of the time. Our house where the Prime Minister of Canada lives is like in disrepair right it's in disrepair no government wants to pay to fix it because it looks like you're lavishly like it would be the prime minister that has to pay the millions to fix it and it would look like you're lavishly just upgrading your own house and it's hard to get it across the nuance to the voting population that you need to fix the house where the prime minister lives while you are the prime minister especially when you know the other party is just going to attack you for it in the next election in the dumbest possible way where they say like, hey, this guy spent 20 million on fixing his house instead of 20 million on your health care or something. You know what I mean? And so um, to summarize, though, it gets into this idea of symbols, right, where it's important. Like, it's why the president of the uh, United States lives in a white house. Like, it lives in a big house that's the president's building. It's why the Oval Office is such a big thing. It's why Air Force One exists, and it's not just the president's plane. These symbols matter. They give permanence to a thing. It's why Congresses and parliaments do their work in big, lavish, grand buildings instead of doing the... They could all get around a kitchen table in a giant, like, ordinary house, but they don't. They, be, they, be, they build these big decadent buildings for themselves part of it comes across as because they're 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 very self-important and selfish and want 
to feel powerful and whatever. And that's partially true. But part of it is because the symbols matter in order to gain legitimacy or to give legitimacy to the legitimacy to the thing. It has to be done in a big grand room. If the people you voted for are going off to a giant, giant part of it and debate, debating and voting and passing laws there, there's more pomp and circumstance around them. And that's important. It's why the royal wedding is so big. It's why, you know, William and Kate's wedding was such a big fucking deal because it gives importance to that line of succession. It gives importance to the royal family that they can do this thing. They can have this big lavish wedding that other people cannot. It's a symbol. And so I'm not going to go on and so on and so forth, but symbols play a huge role in our lives. It's why every flag is a symbol. It's why every party has a symbol. Every political party has a symbol. It's why every group has a symbol of some kind because it's important. And so I love this chat about symbols and how important they are because I think a lot of people kind of cruise through life not really realizing how much symbols play a huge role in our day-to-day life and how like our government's function is very much based on the symbols they've set up for themselves to gain legitimacy. And so just incredible stuff here from the queen. I'm kind of already convinced that Edwina has made her choice here. However, uh, she kind of talks Edwina out of the marriage a little bit by saying, you know, love is the hardest and greatest choice that anyone has to make and you is the most important choice you will make and you will have to live with the consequences forever. So, so make a wise choice, kind of ceding the power back to, back to the diamond and away from the crown. Edwina leaves this conversation, decides not to marry Anthony, has the best, she knows she needs to get Edwina or Anthony and Kate into a room. And the best way to do this, she knows is they, they, she knows that they will come if they think the other has invited them, which is fucking hilarious. So she sends a note to Anthony that Kate's invited to him. She sends a note to Kate that Anthony's invited to her. And they, of course, they both show up and Edwina kind of walks into to lecture them both. Love is not wandering eyes. You will never meet my eyes the way you met my sisters. Like fucking ouch. Like, ah, burn. Like Anthony on fire right now. She's not going to marry him. Yada, yada, this, yada, yada, that. She's leaving. And Edwina doing quite well with pointing out the, the projection here. Like, I, I, you had put upon me your feelings that I had merely borrowed, which is just incredible. And then we get a what about us classical rendition. Just Edwina slaying the game here. Absolute queen. Hilarious bit of, you know, um whatever it's called. I don't want to use the word subterfuge too much because it just gets lame, but a hilarious bit of scheming to get Kate and Anthony here. An awesome bit of lecturing. And then the What About Us classical rendition. Absolutely incredible. Loved this. Loved it so much. The wedding's called off. It's not happening. Everyone is now leaving. Uh, the, the people are gossiping initially about how Edwina, uh, you know, she's not going to be worthy of Anthony or whatever, but Lady Cowper suspects there's something going on with Anthony, kind of setting up that eventually we're going to get everyone kind of shunning both families, when in this case you'd usually assume the bride left and that it's her fault and that Anthony's fine. It seems like Anthony's going to have some problems going forward as well. Lady Bridgerton overhears this and is not liking what she's hearing. We jump to Theo and Eloise where I'm not going to talk about it too much, but you know, once Eloise is left, which is a decision I hate, this is fun though, that she's trying to explain her feelings for him. And he's trying to explain his feelings for her. And he does that by bringing out uh, books and she's stumbling over her words and like trying to be flirty. And he's trying to say like, I read all these books and I, I don't know how I feel about you, but I saved them for you. And I've never saved books for anyone before so does that mean we're in love i don't know how this works which is you know whatever but also again we talked about the ways you can swoon me 
Uh, and what did we talk about? Sports ball. We talked about Paul Mall. That, you know, Paul Mall is the way to win my heart. Absolutely. Kate was very attractive in that moment. And a saving books for me is another big win. If you want, I am an avid reader. I love reading. It's one of my favorite things to do ever. And if I stopped by your house and you gave me books, I am going to fall in love with you. And that is just how it's going to happen. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This was, this is what Theo's doing is exactly how you would get me to fall in love with you. So I vibe with it as a, as a way to do this uh, for Eloise. And then we get a big dun 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 moment when they, there's someone's around. I, I, again, I watched this like a week and a half ago. Someone's around to catch Eloise. Someone's there, a footman, something, somebody is seeing Eloise here. And this is going to be a problem for the next episode, I am sure. And finally, we get Kate and Anthony and they're going to kiss. But first, I love that their little chat about their situation in here. Like your your sister uh, is kind of on to us and whatever. And I can't remember exactly what they say, but I like Kate's reason for not leaving. Like the moment we leave, we face the truth. And as long as I stay in here, I don't have to acknowledge the truth. So I'm just gonna stay in here as long as I possibly can. That is something we all do all the time. Don't even lie to me. There has been a time where you fucked something up or you have to send an email that you don't wanna send. You have to do something you don't wanna do. And so you have the email written and you just don't click the send button till the last possible moment. Or sometimes you wait to send the email until that person is on their time off knowing that they won't receive it for three days, which won't change the outcome, but it will kind of make you feel better about waiting till the last minute. So I enjoy that they're doing this classic thing where you like, if I just stay in this room, then anything can happen because there's no truth here. The truth is only outside this room and that is the permission structure necessary to make out and they're gonna kiss and that is incredible. And I get the sense from Kate here that she thinks that now that the whole thing with Edwina is done, that when they leave, that they will never see each other again, which is ridiculous because society sees each other all the time on their little promenades or whatever. But I think she thinks like, this is my chance. If I leave, the thing with Edwina is over. There's going to be no reason for the Sharmas and the Bridgertons to hang out, which means Anthony and I can't hang out, which means we got to stay in this room because this is the only room where there's no truth right now and I can kind of do whatever I want. So they start making out. And it is sexy and fun and exciting and they're going at it. And I, you know, all the pent up sexual tension between them two kind of getting let out, which I enjoy. It's been a less sexy season, you know, a lot less uh, sexual activity from the main characters then the first season, which I've quite enjoyed the slow buildup. It's a different season, a different vibe, and I've been enjoying it. But it's nice to get some kind of release here from those two characters, which is great. Although, I want to point out again, they're going to get caught. This is at the altar where they were going to get married. Surely somebody's going to walk in. Surely there's footmen around. Is there not a single footman watching over this room to make sure no one steals something or something? I don't know. This is ridiculous. Again, I thought they might get caught. And the end of the episode would be that they get caught making out. And then the next episode is the the um kind of uh aftermath of all that the you know the they've made out they've been caught what's gonna happen which still could happen the beginning of the next episode could be them getting caught and having to deal with that but man i was happy to see the makeout sesh that was fun all right everybody i think that's it that's all for this episode i just want you to know however long this is to listen to, I think, around an hour and a half. It took me more than three hours to record. Uh, the amount of coughing fits I had in the middle of this was very high. So hopefully this is the last time I have to record a podcast while I'm sick. But I do apologize again 
for the delay. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, leave it a review, leave it a rating. Let me know what you thought at Let's Dive Deep Pod at gmail.com. Uh, let me know what you think on Twitter at Let's Dive Deep. Hit up the Patreon for early access to the episodes if you want. And there's some show notes and stuff there. Make sure that you go to the Facebook group and hang out there as well. We're talking about Bridgerton all the time. It's a fun time over there. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be here again in your feed with the next episode, uh, episode number seven. I can't remember what it's called, but it's episode number seven. The penultimate one will be in the next episode. Cheers, everyone.